practically speaking, Russian oil is uh, available to them. Um, they've maintained a, a neutral stance politically, which I think has been um, the stance has been very consistent from India. Um, uh, but yes, it certainly will help them being able to access uh, oil at the uh, at the price. Uh, and at the same time, they'll try to balance that with the geopolitical tension that, that derives. So I think it's a, it's a balancing act for India. They certainly like to maintain themselves as a, as a neutral party, and notwithstanding that they'll continue to access uh, Russian oil where, at the price it can get. Okay, Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning and this week in Australia. Uh, the SX200 up 2.6%. Japan, the Nikkei 225 up 2.7%. In South Korea, the Cosby is up uh, almost 3%. And here in Hong Kong, looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 760 points or so at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back on Monday morning. Have a great weekend in the meantime. Stay tuned. Back chat's coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast, cloudy in the morning, mainly fine during the day. Uh, the maximum temperature is going to be about 28 degrees and then the outlook is for sunny periods in the next few days. It's going to be hot during the day on Sunday, already 24 degrees and 77% relative humidity. Times 8.31. Here's Tom Warden with the Half Hour News. Thanks, Peter. RTHK understands that police have made five arrests this morning in connection to their investigation of an accident at a concert by the band Mirror. Two dancers were seriously injured when a big screen fell onto the stage at the gig at the Coliseum in Hong Hum in July. It's understood four men and one woman connected to contractors working on the event have been arrested. Police say they've arrested eight men on suspicion of scamming people out of a total of 2.7 million Hong Kong dollars by sending them phishing messages. Officers said the alleged syndicate members pretending to be courier company staff had send a lar- sent a large number of text messages to random people in the last three months, asking for their credit card details. The con men then allegedly used the details to buy mobile phones, vouchers, and other items suitable for resale. The head of the U.S. Senate Banking Committee says the country's financial watchdogs must investigate the collapse of the cryptocurrency trading firm FTX. Sherrod Brown said consumers could not be protected and the stability of the banking system guaranteed unless it was clear what abuses and misconduct took place at the company. The VBC's Michelle Fleury explains what went wrong. This is the earthquake that is rocking the cryptocurrency world. Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF as he's known in crypto circles, runs FTX, which is essentially a marketplace where people can buy and sell their holdings in cryptos. What happened was a sudden departure of many investors from that market, plus a huge sell-off of its own cryptocurrency, triggered the implosion of FTX. And it sent the crypto market as a whole into a meltdown this week. The company's CEO said that his key priority now is doing right by users whose trades on the platform are currently frozen, so their money is frozen. France has said it will allow a ship carrying 200 migrants to dock at the port city of Toulon and warned Italy of extremely serious consequences for not allowing the passengers to disembark there. The Ocean Viking rescued its passengers from the Mediterranean, taking them initially to Italy, where the government refused the migrants' leave to disembark. France's interior minister, Gérard Darmanin, called Italy's actions incomprehensible as the ship had been in its rescue zone. He said France would take appropriate measures as a result. It is evident 
It is obvious that with immediate effect, France is suspending all relocations of the 3,500 refugees currently in Italy, and it's calling on all the other participants in the European mechanism, notably Germany, to do the same. France will take measures to strengthen controls at our internal borders with Italy. It will also make its own conclusions about the Italian attitude to other aspects of our bilateral relationship. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Danny Gittings. On today's program, we're talking about Hong Kong's plans to go big on mega events. In the wake of the success of the Rugby Sevens tournament last weekend, Hong Kong's biggest international outdoor music festival, A Clock and Flap, confirmed that it'll return in March next year, following a three-year hiatus. That adds to other major events on the schedule, such as the Cyclothon next month and the Hong Kong Marathon in February. What's more, the government's pumping millions of dollars into a new mega arts and cultural events fund that will subsidize at least four mega events aimed at attracting a total audience of at least 100,000 people. So is Hong Kong prime for a comeback? What mega events would you like to see? After 9.15, we'll look at a study on workplace inclusivity for workers with disability. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. Joining our discussion this morning, we have Robert Rogers, live event consultant, Kenny Barlow, Head of Partnerships at Magnetic Asia, which organises the Clock and Flap Festival, and Brett Free, Principal of BMF Consulting. He's also a former Deputy Director in the Government's Information Services Department. Good morning to you all, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Um, let's go to Kenny Barlow first. I'm sure many people are dying to find out more about Clock and Flap. So how is the planning going? Well, good morning, everyone. Good course we are very very excited and um, but at the same time when we talk about planning um and march is actually just around the corner so everything gets uh, go 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 and uh, we, we will try our best to uh, put on the best show again um in in march next year what, what kind of arrangements uh, have you got from the government i mean are, are you gonna are you gonna be able to allow people to move around or they're gonna have to sit down are you gonna be able to allow food and drink yes um we, I, I guess we are in a, 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 a better position in terms of, you know, the uh, pandemic or epidemic concerned. And um, so, and also having a very successful rugby sevens as well. So, um, yes, we, we allow to have um, the, the normal free movement uh, format um, at the festival. And we will also be um, allowed to, to provide FMV for, for the audience as well. But of course, um, since we're still under uh, certain restrictions, so we will do our best and work with the government to make it as as close to the, the normal clock and flood experience as we can. Right. And can you, can you give us an idea of uh, what performers or artists uh, we can expect at the event? I mean, any big names? Of course, every year. And... Um, lots of people ask me the same question every year, but um, my my answer is very simple: you will buy a ticket, and this is for me. <laughs> so it, you, you 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 will see. But um, this is our our um, our strategy uh, since day one. Anyway, we we always have attractive names. We always have 
um, exciting names and um, and then also interesting names that for people to discover. So stay tuned; it will come out very soon. <laughs> All right, so um, Clock and Flap is uh, making a comeback. We uh, just had the Rugby Sevens, and of course, uh, next month we have uh, the Cyclothon. Um, Mr. Free, how significant would you say the return of these uh, international events is for Hong Kong? Well, of course, hosting international events is something which Hong Kong's always done, and uh, that took a backseat during COVID, unfortunately. It's good to see the Sevens come back um, so successfully. It's really great that riding on that, we now see Clock and Flap coming back. That's good. If we look at what's happening at the Convention Centre, at Asia World Expo, and with other sporting events over the next four to five months, there's actually a reasonably good calendar of events coming back. And hopefully we can see the COVID restrictions uh, imposed on those events being wound back more and more gradually so that there's a sort of a freer participation of people, whether that be the athletes taking part or enabling visitors to come in and enjoy them as well. So in terms of the global brand reputation of Hong Kong, it's, it's, it's very important because we've positioned ourselves as, a, well, as the events capital of Asia, but you can't really live up to that name if you don't have events. So it is good to see them coming back and hopefully we'll see more relaxations on the uh, CAT 599 um, restrictions on social distancing to make them even more enjoyable. Yes, you had a column in the South China Morning Post where you, you seem to say a lot more needed to be done, including um, lifting the uh, mask mandate for outdoor out, for outdoors? Yes, I mean, I think the issue with the CAT 599 uh, regulations at the moment, certainly in the people that I speak to in the events sector, is that... Um, they don't sort of seem to make much sense. You can uh, have contact sport, um, rugby, soccer, basketball, games like this, um, where people are in quite close contact with each other for you know a significant period of time. But outdoor events such as, well, you mentioned the cyclothon, the cyclothon, uh, trail running events, which is probably you know an extremely socially distant sport already, and, and the marathon, people are outside running, you know, there's reasonably more onerous restrictions on those events than there are for sports which are already taking part. So people in the sector don't really understand why, for example, you need a PCR test to take part in a running event where you don't need to do it in a sort of football or a a basketball event. Same thing would apply to the live entertainment industry as well, whereby Early on in the pandemic, we remember there was a cluster of people uh, from a band and then there were certain restrictions brought on in regards to live entertainment and live music in venues, which at the time, were, I think we could say, were probably justified. But it doesn't really seem to, to me that, and the people in the industry that those restrictions have been really carefully looked at and wound back in a, in a sort of more uh, suitable way. If you're performing in a band, you need to get uh, tested much more than you do, for example, people sitting in the audience listening to you. And again, people are asking, well, we're all in Hong Kong. The vast majority of people um, taking part in these uh, events are Hong Kong people. Uh, They're in the venue. They must have a blue coat anyway. Um, Probably they need a rat to get in. 
why do people who are performing need to have another higher level of testing um, imposed upon them, which is a cost to, to business in terms of compliance and, and, and just the cost of the test. All right. Mr Rogers, do you share that view? Absolutely. Um, I, I have a friend who, uh, he's, a, he's a magician, uh, he's actually just come down with COVID, and he blames the fact that he had to sit in line with a whole bunch of other people from out of town who are high risk, and he has to go in twice a week to get his PCR test. Um, one of the other things, I mean, when you're talking about for you know smaller live events in in bars and such like that, is that you know for the musicians that PCR test twice a week that's that's a big cost. They're they're not you know they're not they're not mega stars. They're not making millions per gig. You know they're they're just sort of squeaking by, and you know many of them have depleted their savings over the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brett's totally right. Are you objecting to tests per se or just PCR tests? I mean, would it be okay if they had to take RAT tests? I mean, those well, cost five five dollars. I mean, I mean, rat test, rat test. That that seems you know fairly common. That seems um, you know that if if they need need testing, rat tests seem to make sense. Um, you know, the all of the all of the people, many of the people coming into bars and stuff, they've all taken rat tests. Rat rat tests would make sense, and self testing would make sense. But having to go. To a you know to a designated venue and and often paying for those, that's yeah. I think that's a bit tricky. And more generally, what's the mood now among people you work with? I mean, uh, it's, it's easier to organise events now, but it's still not many people coming into Hong Kong to attend them. So for yeah, of course. So we don't have many overseas guests coming in. So for instance, at the Rugby Sevens, I do a lot of work with the uh, uh, with the corporate sector in the in the. Up in the gods, up there in the in the second second floor, um, and you know Sunday afternoon at three o'clock. Usually, you know I've I've been doing that for twenty one years, and usually three three o'clock on on Sunday, it's just heaving in the in the hallway out there. You can't get through, and there's people with costumes and people screaming and yelling and drinking. On three o'clock this Sunday, it was it was silent. It was really quiet. It was it was you know, a bit strange, um, and I. I believe that is very much because we didn't have a lot of overseas guests because a lot of the corporates, you know, they, they host overseas clients coming in and they have, you know, the whole week and, you know, they'll have other conferences going on around the sevens uh, and other meetings and other, other such. Um, downstairs was great. Um, and, and, you know, just, just while, we're, while we're at it, the, the HKRFU, they did just an amazing job. Some of the, uh, you know, some of the challenges that they had with... with not only with with the uh, with working around all of the the rules and COVID and such, but then they also had a, a typhoon, you know, two days before. Um, you know, I was I was there as well for some of the setup and, and watching some of the guys. They they certainly had had you know they were they were pulling their hair out in a few places, but they did a great job, and it was it was great to see the representatives back. All right, I have a message here from uh, our listener Richard. He says that it's good to know our government still has millions of dollars to pump into uh, mega events while SMEs are dropping like flies every day because of the restrictions associated with the COVID theatre. Who will come if the restrictions are still in place or is it just for locals? And uh, that message is for Richard and Miss Barlow. What do you think about that? I mean, do you think uh, people will come to a clock and flap or, or is it for locals? It's it's interesting. So so um, that comment about SMEs, um, you know, the event sector is a super sub industry. It you know you you think of a mega event and you think that it's 
you know, one big company that does everything. But really, it's not. The, the events industry is made up of hundreds of, of SMEs, um, private individuals that all come together to create this mega thing, and then they all disappear and go back into the woodwork, um, which is one of the reasons that we, we don't have any sort of uh, big mouthpiece for the industry that kind of, uh, you know, would speak up for the industry, for instance, you know, during COVID or, um, or, or at other times. I, I know Brett has been uh, pushing to, to help to get to this happen, and it would be wonderful to, to see. Um, but because we're, we're all individuals or small companies, we're all too busy just trying to <laughs> try to trying to make a living to 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 be out there and uh, uh, to be doing things like this, to be telling people about the industry and to, and talking about it. Um, so yes, the government is pumping money into events, but it is helping. This is great for SMEs. Right, Miss Barlow, what's your view? I mean, uh, do you think? I mean, is it uh, more difficult, for example, to to get uh, international artists, for example, to come to Hong Kong for Earth Clock and Flap? I mean, how is that going? when we are still under the zero per, per three and then it's still got challenges and but at least it's slightly better in comparison before it's just you know you don't you don't even have to ask um especially when elsewhere are open up and then artists also um going through the pandemic and and they were not able to perform and to to tour around the world and now that they can and it's very easy for them to not come to Hong Kong and continue elsewhere. And they need to, they need to make a, make a living. They need to make up for, from what 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 um, um, they've missed um, over the last at least two to three years. And um, so nowadays, and and it's slightly easier. But of course, you know if. If we do, we don't have this restriction anymore, and it basically will just open up um, the market again, and then artists can come in much easier, just like before. And um, and and I, I guess we still have this one hurdle that we need to uh, get through. Um, and to make it just as smooth as, as usual. Right. And uh, our listener, Richard, he, he just uh, mentioned about uh, the uh, Mega Arts and Cultural Events Fund announced uh, in the CE's maiden policy address. Um, Ms. Barlow, do you think uh, that will help uh, attract international and mega arts and cultural events to come here? It depends. I think, uh, one, we are still um, on top of the normal... Um, time-consuming procedures to to actually um, get to get to the bottom of, of, of the funding and you really have to have someone who's dedicated to you know look after this side of things and then in, in order to fulfill all the criteria and and then um, and also on the on the other side if, if we are still under um, a certain amount of restriction and it's not going to be a full experience and organizing events big or small or or large scales and it it's it, it has got its own usual challenges and hurdles that you need to get through already and then on top you you still you have these extra uh restrictions and then to consider and then to to um push through and yeah of course with 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 the funding it it would help but it still depends on how is it going to get into the 
um, the organizers hand and then how you know uh, the the general environment actually is going to support um, the event itself or the the, um, the organizing organizations of the event as well you sound a bit hesitant miss Barlow that you, you sort of feel that the uh, applying for this funding you you sort of feel that it will involve a lot of work and a lot of bureaucracy perhaps is that your hesitation there yes well I, I guess it's it's never it's never easy and straightforward, and you know you look at the, the thickness of the form, you look at the presentations to understand you know each fund and how does it work, are, are we eligible, and and then of course the process of it is not it's not it's not it's not straightforward basically, and then so as I said to so even every time we look at all these different funding scheme and you really have to have have someone dedicated to it and okay um well yes. brett, brett free you worked in the hong kong government for more than 20 years so you probably know more than your fair share about government bureaucracy mm -hmm. is is there a danger of red tape sort of styling these kind of uh, well-meaning initiatives well on the on the yeah well in a in a word yes and and that is also something which needs to be um looked at and addressed um the application and compliance uh, procedures, if you're talking about funding, are quite onerous, as Kenny just said. Um, for the Mega Events Fund, I think they've, they've said 60 million for four events, so that's $15 million an event. Um, and I'd probably hazard a guess that they've got a pretty good idea as to where that money's gonna go. So uh, this idea or notion that you know, people can apply and get a million here or two million here, I don't think that's gonna happen with that fund. I think they've got in mind probably three or four events already where perhaps they should have had funding support before and now they're gonna get funding support. When I was in uh, government in different jobs, I did sit on the Mega Events Fund and I did sit on the major sports events uh, fund. Mega Events Fund had $100 million, if you remember, um, it was a good idea, but the, as Kenny mentioned, it was the problem with it was it was just too it was too onerous in terms of the in terms of the application procedures, and you do need people pretty much full time dedicated to the application process, and then and then afterwards the compliance process in terms of the deliverables you need to give the government in in return for securing the money. So they need to, I think, look at uh, the the red tape as you mentioned to make it a bit more simple and streamlined for people uh, to apply major sports events committee actually it is um, developed and evolved over the years quite a bit and there's a review undergoing uh, at the moment and i think that's good they the people in the sports sector know and understand how that fund works well and the application procedures are transparent are online, you know what you're getting in for when you uh, apply for money there. So that's good. But as a general observation, yes, they should try to make things a bit easier for people um, because otherwise you spend all this time applying for money, which you might or you might not end up getting. Right. So the, the, and looking at this fund, the government wants to uh, use it to help Hong Kong uh, turn into an arts and a cultural metropolis. Of course, uh, money is important, uh, but what else do we need, Mr. Rogers? <laughs> well, we, we could use some more people. We, we've lost yeah. a lot. We've lost a lot. So, so over, over COVID, so, so many people 
went off to uh, to to Dubai, uh, Middle East. Uh, some of our some of our top talent, as far as in the events industry, has um, also many um, uh, you know to to the U.S. Singapore has just swallowed up whole companies. Um, you know, we we hope that they will come back. Uh, but well, on the other are, hand, are you uh, seeing any sign? I mean, in banking, there's at least people are claiming that people are starting to come back. Are you seeing any any sign of that yet in in your in not your yet. area? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, I mean, there is, there is hope. People are, people are talking to. They're like, oh, good, that, that's great. But you know, once you're, you know, once, like I say, we're not we're not uh, big banks. We we don't have you know we're not giant uh, giant companies. We're mostly individuals who are working for other you know other clients and once you have your client client base set up um you know that you tend to tend to need to stay stay near them um as well so a lot of a lot of my clients so i work with a lot of high network clients uh a lot of them have all gone home or or given up on on hong kong so um yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping that they'll come back is there any um, sign of the exodus in the other way i mean people come uh, expects coming here from macau on the mainland where i mean whatever the restrictions here they're, they're they're far less than if you're on the mainland or even macau yeah it's interesting I'm, I'm seeing a whole potential new market there with uh especially because they're they're you know they're trying to bring in a lot more uh, talent to come into into mainland and into into hong kong and we're seeing you know a lot of um uh, you know, college-educated people that have maybe gone from China, gone from Hong Kong to U.S., Canada, U.K., um, who are being enticed to, to, to come back here. And those people as well, they're, you know, they're looking for sort of um, some of the types of events that they see overseas. Um, so that's, you know, that is, that is definitely a new market, and that's helping, but, you know, we're, we're waiting to see it kind of develop. Uh, Brett Free, you, you were talking about sort of the decimation of the mice of the meeting convention exhibition in, industry in Hong Kong, and that um, absolutely. Um, and w is it realistic to expect to rebuild that over the short term? Um, so short, short term, there's going to be challenges. One of you know one of the things that I think um, many people don't realize, uh, especially if, if you're not in the industry, you, the the amount of work, the amount of details, the amount of time it takes to really stage a, a good event, good, safe uh, experience for people, um, the more time you have, the more that you can think about it, the more that you can look at all of the safety aspects, look at your risk management, the more that you can you know, come up with creative ideas that you can do really neat stuff with. Um, if you don't have time, then it's very much you know, cut and paste. Let's do that because you know, we have these props, we have these have this equipment. Um, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm sure Cock and Flap is dealing with right now, um, like Kenny mentioned in, in her first bit, it's it's March. They usually have a whole year to kind of work on this with no with no restrictions. This time, you know, they've got. <laughs> Absolutely. I, yeah. I, at, at the moment, I'm already thinking about what, what's next uh, after yeah. this call that I have to continue working on it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's you know the, the timelines. The timelines are really, really short. And what happens? So if you have a great, experienced team who have you know can can put things together, um, then you know you can you don't need quite so much time. But if you're bringing in you know, new talent, people that have just got out of school, people that don't have a lot of experience, you also need to kind of nurture them and to, and, and to teach them. So, you know, as our timelines get shorter, we're going to start to see, you know, a lot more, a lot more issues there. Um, yeah. I would just chip in there and say that if you look at the government's economic data, which comes out, there is a 
a set of data there that relates to the tourism exhibition and convention centre and certainly um, a fair bit of the events sector would be um, incorporated into that data set. Um, at the end of 2018, there was 257,000 people working in that sector, according to the government's own data. At the end of 2020, there was under 50,000 people working in that sector. So they've shed uh, over 200,000 jobs uh, in the past couple of years in that sector. And you ask, is it going to come back quickly or is that something which can be addressed quickly? The answer is no, it can't, because some people have probably left Hong Kong and they're not coming back. And the other thing about that is that other people um, have probably found jobs elsewhere. And the question for them is, well, um, do I uh, risk it and go back to the sector which has been hit so hard by a one-off event, or do I stay where I am now in a job working in a bank or selling insurance or whatever they might be doing because I need to pay the rent and put food on the table for, my, for myself and my family. So I think, you know, for me, the most acute issue facing the sector at the moment is a really comprehensive review of, of CAP 599 so that uh, people sit down and align uh, what's going on um, in the public with what they're expecting businesses to do because, uh, as Robert mentioned before, it is a cost to business. All right, uh, Mr. Uh, Free, so I'm afraid I have to stop you there for uh, now because we have to take a short break for the news, uh, but we'll continue our discussion in uh, three minutes' time. And uh, if you're tuning in to Backchat and you want to ask our guests questions or just share your views on today's topics, you can email us at backchat at rchk.hk or give us a call on 233 Now, here's the weather, cloudy periods to start with, mainly fine later with highs of around 28 degrees, winds moderate easterlies. And right now it is 25 degrees and the relative humidity is 77%. Morning with Danny Gittings and me, Janice Wong. This morning, we're talking about Hong Kong's plans to go big on mega events. Following the Rugby Sevens tournament that was held successfully last weekend, Hong Kong's biggest international outdoor music festival, A Clock and Flap, has confirmed it'll return in March next year, following a three-year hiatus. Still with us on the program is Robert Rogers, live event consultant. Kenny Bolo, head of partnerships at Magnetic Asia, which organises the Clock and Flap Festival. And Brett Fritz principal of BMF Consulting. He's also a former deputy director in the government's information services department. Now, uh, before the um, news, we, we talked about a shortage of uh, manpower in, in the events uh, industry. Miss um, Barlow, can, can you talk a bit about that? Is that uh, um, what you're experiencing when you're organizing a clock and flap? Yes, that's, it's, uh, I, I do share um, similar uh, feelings or, or what we've seen um, in, in the actual field, so to say, uh, with, 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 with what Brad just said. And we actually, we, we have another business that we do ticketing. And uh, we, we were uh, providing ticketing service for the, the Rugby Sevens, and then we also provide uh, temporary staff for uh, the, the door management. And uh, even just that, and, and before, and looking at the pool of uh, our uh, event uh, staff who particularly handle like the the door management, and there's a huge pool of, uh, of 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 temporary staff. And then particularly these are the uh, the uh, the younger generation, and then they are uh, very enthusiastic and 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 
uh, happy to work with multiple events throughout the years and uh, give them lots of different experiences. And this time round, um, yes, we manage, but then you can see that the pool of people has, has shrunk and particularly with those with more experience, supervisor level, and and those kind of people um, basically um, or left Hong Kong already or changed to another uh, career, and which is totally understandable. And let alone um, other in in other area, let's just say uh, show producers and to more uh, technical um, the, the, um, technical. Um, people or, or, or manpower, and yeah, we do see a, a, a shortage. So, how or, many or, people do you need for Clock and Fact? I mean, you were saying earlier, aren't you, that you're you're up against the clock, aren't you? You just got approval now, and it's uh, and you're so you're obviously having to identify people at a frantic pace. And if there's a shortage, it's going to be even more difficult. And um, I think there are a few different levels and then even company wise let's say from the supplier level and then there's also companies that actually close or are completely relocated to a, to elsewhere this is companies and you would have used in the past right sorry this is companies you would have used in the past you, yes, yes. yes so yes. You, you, you have problems with some of your normal suppliers are no longer available presumably yes and that, that's that's one one of the one of the scenario at, at, at the moment that we're facing. And we are um, we, we actually we just had a catch up. We should be just okay, and there are still just enough. But at the same time, and when we are talking about um, organising a world class uh, event, and we do like uh, Robert saying earlier, it's actually there's a lot of different individuals come together to make it happen and it's not like we, we don't have anyone and but the options and then the and and the different solutions there might be different holes that we'll have to find different solution to uh, um, um, to to cater those kind of uh, shortage or make different plans so different kind of different kind of uh, challenge that tell us a bit more also about um, what what, what uh, you're expecting for clock and fact I mean how, how many what's your, what's your capacity going to be this time and where where is where is it actually going to be held this time uh, it, it will be back in, in um, central harbor front again and um, we the the size will be as as before we will use the um, uh, the, the event space in Central Harbour Fund and we'll also use the Tamer Park uh, as well. And and of course, under the current restrictions, then we are still looking at 85% of the uh, the usual capacity. And But of course, we, we're very hopeful that maybe by then we can just increase it back to 100% uh, capacity. And then, but again, and, and, uh, and another point is uh, other than the local audience, and we we see a very very steady growth of um, inbound audience travel to Hong, especially for the festival before, and but other than we'll... from, from the west, from the region, and also from from mainland China, and we we are yet to see um, what what would be the the impact for 
Clockenfag 23. Do you yet know whether inbound visitors would be able to actually enter Clockenfag? I mean, we, we all saw the, uh, inbound, the poor guy from South Africa being turned away outside the Rugby Sevens. Is... Well, that, that's what I mean. It's yet to see, right? Because we're still under this zero for three and then, you know, if people have got uh, 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 um, the, the amber code and, and they're not allowed to come into the to the venue and that will be a, basically there's, there's a, a no for, for any visitor. Right. And earlier you talked about uh, how it's uh, more difficult to get uh, international artists to come here. I mean, it's easier, but still difficult. Um, will this um, will Clock and Club uh, this time be uh, uh, mainly focused on local artists, or will no, there be no, like no. We, we definitely we definitely have international artists and, and regional artists as well, and um, but we 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 are working very closely with with, uh, with the government and. Um, on that front, slightly less um, less concern, and but we will still have to work it out and work it through to to bring all these artists in, into Hong Kong. Um, but this is the essence of of Clock and Flap, and it, we we always have a, a lineup with local, regional, international artists. So um, yeah, that that's what we need to. All right, but to make we things easier, work, work out, yeah. but to make things easier, will there be more local artists this time? Um, actually, this is like um, a wrong um, perception. I, 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 I have to say because Cotton Club has always got a um, more than fifty percent of local artists, and but of course we always have big names, international, regional artists in our lineup, and that captures people's eyes. Um, but we we always have a very strong local lineup, so it will be the same just like before. Um, so there's no um, who, who, which which side of the artist that it, it's going to be more or, or, or focused on. Um, it will be basically like the usual cotton club lineup that you can expect. Brett, Brett Free, we were talking earlier about how you wrote a column suggesting that the uh, mask mandate uh, should be lifted for uh, outdoor activities. I, I just wondered what you made of the sevens and the sort of, def- I know, before that, the financial conference and the sort of de facto, what appeared to be just sort of de-, de facto exemptions to the, the mask requirement just because they, were, they weren't in, effectively weren't enforced in these two events. You saw the pictures, right? I did did see what happened, but I was was definitely at the sevens. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, I mean, the the way it seemed to have been policed um, at the sevens was that if you're you're sitting down uh, talking to your friends uh, in the the stands, um, nobody was really bothered about um, whether you had the mask on or not or not. If you got into the concourse area or the public spaces, then, yeah, um, you did need to put your mask on. But what I'd say about that was that most people, in, in a sense, instinctively put the mask back on as soon as they got up out of their seat and, and, and walked out. I'd say that this is probably, obviously, the rugby was a testing ground for what um, what might be possible moving forward and further relaxations, which is, which is a good thing. They'd probably be looking at the... Um, health data. I think maybe even Regina it might have said this the week before the sevens is to make sure that there's no spike or, or in cases or the rise in infections, which would be good news. And then take it from there in terms of how they might, you know, wind back or or tweak the, the mask mandates 
We, uh, we have to caution, don't we, that we still, if, if the Sevens did prove to be a super spreader event, we're still a little early to see the signs of that, aren't we? Yes, we just we just have to wait, wait and see on that. Uh, and I mean, I mean, then at the sevens, of course, you even saw photographs of the chief executive and top officials, maskless, didn't you? And secretary of security, for that matter. Yeah, Chris Tang was down in the south stand, um, doing selfies with people, and uh, the John Lee was uh, in the rugby union box with Paul Chan. I think I think John Lee even had a beer in his hand at one stage, and. Well, if he's got a beer in his hands, he's technically following the rules, isn't he? Yeah, but, exactly. I mean, Chris Tang doing selfies and wandering around the uh, South Stand and from all accounts getting a fairly mixed reception there. But uh, that, that, that's against Cap 599G, isn't it? Well, I mean, strictly speaking, probably. But I think, you know, the message from, that I took away from, from that was that there is a, there is a, a wish, I guess, to, to see things wound back. But as usual, they'll do it in their rather cautious and in a way which is probably slower than most people would want to see. Right. I have a message here from our listener, T.C. Jung. He says, uh, the biggest obstacle is still the complicated pandemic policies. Visitors to Hong Kong, for any reason, have very little appetite to learn policies. Red, yellow, green codes, vaccine cards. What can one do during the zero plus three period, etc.? And uh, that's from uh, T.C. Jung. Miss um, Barlow, do you think um, it will be difficult uh, maybe to um, sort of explain this whole system to um, international artists coming? In. It's difficult to even explain to a Hong Kong citizen because it's it's, uh, it's constantly changing and it's not as straightforward. And um, yes, it's it's I mean it, 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 it's it's difficult enough or, or challenging enough to even explain to my my children what 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 now and and then when it comes to people who don't live here and also living and doing business and and elsewhere uh, as normal for for at least the last six six to ten months now and yes it will add on to the challenge to to explain to them and to be correct as well you don't want to give them the wrong information either um yes it, it will be a challenge but um let, let, let's see how we can work that out as well. I suppose we should look on the opposite side. I mean, we talked about all these people leaving and the issues, but you're still here and you're, you're still going ahead with this event and you you're actually seem to be saying that although there are difficulties, more or less there, there are still enough people around to make this a success. So, I mean, we may have been depleted, but uh, you still have, have a, a, a strong core left. Miss um, Barlow? the end you know hong kong is still one of the at least in my opinion one one of the the best city to 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 live and and there are still plenty of potentials as well and um and there are also um enough audience uh, in here and to go to all kinds of of events there are uh frustrations there are plenty of challenges but i think I can say at this moment, and especially personally speaking, that at least now we can see progress. And however, the speed that is is, is moving forward. And um, comparing, you know, same time last year, I think we, we're still very much in the in the middle of the tunnel and not knowing where we're going or when are we even going to see a dot of a a dot of light. 
Um, but I, I think we are approaching to the end now. But uh, how fast would it be? And then how how would it look like? It's, it's yet to see. But as a Hong Konger myself, I, I have to have faith. Um, otherwise, can't continue. Mr. Rogers, on, on that theme, I mean, you're still here and you've presumably got people to work with. Uh, so all the challenges we're facing, we're pulling through. My, my, yeah, I was just just going to add to that was was you know some of the some of the things that we're seeing. So we've got loads of new venues which are opening up, and venues has always been one of the bane's bane's of my existence here in Hong Kong. Um, uh, you know, with the, the Greater Bear Area opening up, and some of the the potential that's going to be happening within there, and being able to you know go through. I think it's a while so. before you'll be able to go into the Greater Bay Area or anywhere in China, though. I mean, yeah, the, absolutely. But just you know, when you're looking at the long term for for the events industry, and you know, we kind of have to think think that way that's that's why i'm still here is that long term hong kong is going to be great it's we're going to come back and we're going to be going to be good again how about um, sorry i was going to say ask brett free then because he, he was writing saying we're not going to see millions of tourists from china anytime soon brett free well i think that's a fair call we're not going to see millions of tourists anytime soon from china that's the reality of of the situation we need to deal with remember we had the end of 69 2018, I think it was, that was the record year, 65 million visitors to Hong Kong. I think about 80% of the visitors to Hong Kong come from the mainland. At the end of this year, we might be lucky to have had 400,000, maybe 500,000. If there's an uptick the last two months, not many of them are, uh, are coming from the mainland. And while they maintain the zero COVID policy and approach there, the reality is that those large numbers of mainland tourists um, are not going to be coming back into, into Hong Kong. That doesn't mean that they won't come back eventually, but it'll be some time before we get back to those heady days of 55, 60 million people a year coming to Hong Kong. But that's not a bad thing. Maybe we should be looking to bringing in people from ASEAN, from other parts of the world, uh, North America, Europe, to come and, come and see Hong Kong. That probably might be a good thing as well. All right, so I have an email here from John. He says, a uh, great idea to have uh, big events in Hong Kong, but how will overseas artists and tourists come to Hong Kong if they can't book flights? Mm. Anyone who has tried to contact Cathay to book flights will have experienced a staggering wait time, often running into hours before a human being picks up the phone. Hong Kong's economy is in desperate need of the pickup, which a revival of tourism would generate. But unless its airline improves its dismal service, any meaningful improvement in tourism will be elusive. And uh, that email is from John. Um, have you, I mean, um, Mr. Rogers, have you uh, been in, experiencing any any problems like that uh, when, when organizing uh, events? Well, uh, so, so, I mean, I had some personal personal things with that. But, you know, when you, when you look at... at so Cafe, I believe, probably having the same issues that, that, that we're having in the events industry. Suddenly, right, you can have flights now. Next week, open up flights. And, and you know, Cafe, they, you know, they've laid off staff, they've laid off pilots, all of their, you know, staff have left. Um, you know, you can't just suddenly hire a pilot and get them trained up in a week. Uh, you can't just suddenly move a plane from where you've got it stored at halfway across the world and get it in. It's the same thing with events in that, you know, we can't just suddenly next week start, you know, start doing mega events. We need to bring back, build back the the, the foundations that we had had before. So, you know, we, 
when when we spoke before about the the mirror incident, which I think was very interesting about the came on the news today, um, uh, uh, things like safety um, uh, and things like like planning and creativity, those things, you need a little bit of time to be able to really create them. Cafe, they're going to need some time to, to build back up their staff before they're going to have somebody there to, to answer your phone. They've had two years of, of the phone not ringing, <laughs> so you know, they lay that person off. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Rogers, I, I know you have to go a, a bit early. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Robert Rogers, a live event consultant. Uh, Ms. Barlow, let's, let's finish this, this, this main topic by going back to Clock and Fab and indeed to your personal challenges. You say you know, as soon as you finish on this show, you're, you're off to deal with things to, uh, to, to try and get Clock and Fab ready. Well, what are the biggest challenges for you over the next couple of months in, in terms of getting all the bits and pieces in place? Well, I, I think it's, it's still the uncertainty and we have been dealing with the uncertainty in Hong Kong and I guess around the world as well for in the last two, three years. And then when elsewhere, this uncertainty is almost completely gone, uh, you know, because the pandemic concern, but we are still facing um, those kind of uncertainty we were talking about. We're hoping, uh, you know, there's, there's the, the 599 will be lifted and we're hoping there's, you know, lots of restrictions will be a lot more relaxed or even completely gone by then, but we don't know. And I think that is the, the, the major um, challenge. This, these are the extra things that we have to we have to work on, we have to look at, but yet we also don't have any certainty um, that, yes, it, by, by then, by this day, and then it will be this or that. And so we can only work with what we know and what we can and, um, and, and then be, be agile and, 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 and flexible and, and to, to work around things, which we are very good at anyway. <laughs> and, and as I said, you know, doing big, um, large-scale events is it, it, full of challenges anyway. But, you know, we, we, we will get through. But th- this is the main thing. I can't really say a particular area, and but this will be the very core um, challenge that we, we're still facing. All right, uh, Ms. Barlow, good luck with Clock and Flapper. We have to leave it Thank here for now. So Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Kenny Barlow, Head of Partnerships at Magnetic Asia, which organises the Clock and Flap Festival. Many thanks also to Brett Free, Principal of BMF Consulting. He's also a former Deputy Director in the Government's Information Services Department. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. It's now 23 minutes past nine and it's time to turn to our next topic today and it's about the difficulties disabled people face when looking for employment. A new study by the City University and Baptist Oi Kwan Social Service found that around half of the 200 employers and human resources professionals surveyed did hire disabled workers, mainly through NGOs. But a third of them said they were unable to find candidates who matched their needs and more than half said they found it hard to create an inclusive inclusive workplace environment. To discuss the findings, we're now joined on the line by Carol Lee, the Head of Training and Employment Services at Baptist Oikwan Social Service. Good morning, Ms. Lee. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So um, I've just mentioned a, a few findings from your study. Which finding do you, to you is the uh, most worrying? 
Uh, so we are just worrying that um, um, the opportunity for the disabled person to get into the open employment. Uh, actually, in the survey, we found that um, uh, more than 80% of employers are satisfied or are willing to employ the uh, disabled. But sometimes they have uh, some hesitation that how to promote the workplace inclusive in their company. Right. And when you talk about um, disabled workers, um, are you talking about uh, physically disabled workers or, or for, uh, what, what kind of um, focus um, are, are you, are you yes. talking about? Actually, the survey is for all kinds of disabled, okay? So, but for our agency, because we are just doing for the employment service for the mentally ill person for open employment, yeah. So your survey is uh, focused on uh, mentally um, ill people? Yes, yes. When you say was it eighty percent of employ eighty percent of employers are willing to um, employ disabled workers, you 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 should be quite encouraged by that by that figure. I, I know you are saying that then that they are worried and they have problems about how to actually do it, but it it suggests most employers do have the uh, the right idea here. Is that right? Yes, 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 yes. Because uh, you know that uh, for the uh, people with the disabled, they some they will face many difficulties when they are looking for the job. You know that uh, there's still some stigmas or labeling effect on the disabled. For example, if there is two people coming for job interview with the same qualification or same uh, experience, maybe the disabled person are less competitive with normal people. And also the disabled person are in lack of confidence to show their competence strength in the job interviews. And for the employers, they may worry uh, on how to support the disabled and worry how to implement the inclusive workplace. Uh, in fact, not all the disabled person need to have special equipment to support their work. So in our service, we are working with the expanded people. They are not easy to find a job as they are still um, exist many people that they are not in mental stable, they will have aggressive behavior. So although the employer is willing to em employ our users, they are not sure if the colleagues can stay harmony with them because maybe the colleagues still do have a stigma that they are the, the disabled workers are the burden in the company on, and also worry that they will increase their burden to support their work. So this is what we, we wanted to um, advocate to um, the enterprise to open more opportunities for the disabled. We know that they have difficulties, but we wanted to, um, uh, uh, as a so level, I mean the intermediate level, to support the enterprise to employ the disabled person. Yeah. Right. Your, your study um, showed that uh, more than half of your respondents uh, found it hard to create an inclusive workplace environment. Uh, what advice do you have for um, these employers? Uh, how should they um, uh, provide a more inclusive uh, workplace environment? Uh, yes, but um, you, you know that they, they are found difficulties because they didn't know um, the, the, the situation of disabled. So, um, because uh, when they cooperate with our agency, like like Department Service, because we are well known of our user, and we can serve as bridge to free up the gaps. Uh, you know that uh, there are many job vacancies now, especially the shortage of frontline workers. I think it's a time for the enterprise to explore the different ways to cooperate with NGO 
to absorb the competence of the disabled person. I think it is a win-win approach that um, the enterprise can secure the stable manpower while the disabled person can secure a job without relying on social welfare assistance. Yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, what, what role do you think the government uh, should play? Just very, very briefly. Uh, 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 yes, yes, yes. In the government aspect, now the government will support um, the NGO for the disabled to open employment. But it's only on case basis. It means that we just provide the counseling, we just provide the training. But actually, we have to contact the enterprise to open the vacancy. But there's no resources for NGO to support the, the enterprise, especially the small enterprise. They wanted to employ the disabled person, but they need resources to um, how to how to, um, for example. We have to do some um, workplace inclusive training for their employers. All right, Ms. Lee. All right, Ms. Lee. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Carol Lee, the Head of Training and Employment Services at Baptist Oikwan Social Service. Many thanks also to you who emailed us today and, of course, to our guest presenter, Danny Gitchings and producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather. Cloudy periods to start with, mainly fine later with highs of around 28 degrees. Winds, moderate easterlies. And the outlook, sunny intervals over the next couple of days. Right now is 25 degrees, relative humidity 77%. The chief executive has delivered his first policy address. It outlines his vision to lead society to break through bottlenecks, add impetus, relieve hardship, and grasp opportunities. Hong Kong will fully and faithfully implement one country, two systems, govern to public aspirations, attract talents and business, Promote finance, innovation and technology. Cultural and creative industries. Integrate into the country's development. Increase the speed and quantity of our housing supply. Boost education and expand the talent pool. Enhance primary health care and support for the elderly, the young and the underprivileged. Clean and beautify our city. To chart a 